All right. Well, hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Brian Zimmerman here, executive editor of Jazz Is Magazine, and I'm here to welcome you to another episode of Jazz Is Live. All right. Today is going to be a very cool episode because we are going to be chatting with bassist Brian Bromberg about a forthcoming release on Mac Avenue Records. This would be a reissue, re-release of the album Brian Bromberg Plays Hendrix. Uh, this is a remastered, remixed version of an album that originally appeared in 2012. It features some bonus material on it. So fans of Brian, fans of Jimi Hendrix, you are definitely going to want to scoop this album up. It is coming out on September 18th, 2020, which happens to be the 50th anniversary of Jimi Hendrix's passing. Uh, we will be talking all things Jimi Hendrix on this episode. So people watching, if you have a Jimi Hendrix story, about listening to Jimi Hendrix, about seeing Jimi Hendrix. If anybody out there has seen Hendrix, let us know. Anything having to do with Hendrix, drop us a line in the comments section. We want to know. We want to know where you're watching from, and we want you to just say hi to Brian, to me. Drop us a line. Let's make this a hang. Let's make this a jam. Uh, and yeah, if you have any questions for Brian, by the way, we can also try to get to those at the end of the show on air. But anyway, like I say, we have Brian Bromberg backstage ready to talk about Jimi Hendrix. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring him out. Brian, are you there? Hopefully I'm here. <laughs> you are looking good, man. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Sean already saying, hey, Brian Bromberg. Sean, hello to you too. Thanks for What's tuning in. Guy? Anybody out there watching, if you think you know somebody who would want to hear Brian Bromberg talk about Jimi Hendrix, click that share button. And uh, like yeah. I said, let's make this a real party. Uh, while we're at it, you know, you would normally never think of asking Brian Bromberg about Jimi Hendrix, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> if anyone wants to, and I'm sure people yeah. will. Um, while we're doing it, I know people are going to want to listen to a lot of Brian Bromberg stuff after this, and a lot of Jimi Hendrix, for that matter. And that's where Cambridge Audio comes in, makers of some of the finest audio equipment in the world. Check out their incredibly stylish premium Alva TT, the world's first Bluetooth APTX HD turntable that lets you put the turntable anywhere in the room. More info at cambridgeaudio.com. All right, Brian, we are talking Jimi Hendrix, a music legend, all right? And I'm just curious because this new project is awesome. Can you take me back to the first time you heard Jimi Hendrix? Well, God, I don't know if I remember the first time I heard Jimi Hendrix. I, I, I was I was single digit. I know that. Okay. My brother... Um, my brother, uh, who's a drummer, by the way, um, okay. he had all of Jimi's records. And I remember just growing up as a kid you know, listening to him. And I, for some reason, had this incredible connection and chemistry with him. I used to look at his pictures all the time. And when I, I'll, I'll never forget the day when he passed. I, I was 10, I believe. And wow. I was sitting on the floor of my room. And I was just bawling my eyes out looking at his record covers. For some reason, he really struck a chord with me. I don't know why, other than the fact that he was such, he was a genius. And it wasn't yeah. just like he was a great guitar player, a great singer. He really even wasn't even a singer. He spoke to you. It was just, he was this larger than life entity, the passion and the power that came out in his music and his vibe and just it was so raw and so real. And even though I was a little kid in Tucson, uh, something about him, it just touched me. There was so much improvisation, you know, yeah. Mitch Mitchell was a jazz drummer, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, there's so much improvisation in, 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 the, in Jimmy's stuff, the, the Hendrix experience. So it was like the perfect blend of rock, kind of pop, you know, and, and psychedelic 
and jazz because they would blow. So I, I think I really gravitated and connected to it at a very young age. Yeah, very nice. And and at the time, you know, were you you mentioned single digits? Were you already playing by then? Were you playing bass? Were you interested in I was guitar? Playing drums. Okay, yeah, I, I grew up playing drums. I mean, my dad was a drummer. My my brother's a drummer. I I literally was playing drums. I was. Uh, I, I was a drummer. I mean, I started. I started working four nights a week when I was twelve. I know that sounds crazy, oh, wow. but I was. I was. I was. I was. I got good real young because of the environment that I was in, and I practiced a lot and worked hard. And so at that point, I was. I didn't even know what a bass was, except for the fact that I would play with a bass player. I didn't start playing yeah. bass until later. But um, but it, it was. But I grew up in a house that literally was Miles Davis, John Coltrane, The Beatles, Stravinsky, Hendrix, yeah. Crosby, Stills. I mean, you name it. It was like back in those days, music, so much music. It was like, you know, having sisters and a brother. It was like literally everything. And, and again, you know, th in thinking about Hendrix now, back then, there was all that improvisation and free spirit. Well, that's what jazz is. That's what yeah. it is. His free spirit is improvisation. It was just on a rock vibe. But listen to Mitch Mitchell's drumming on uh, in, in that stuff. He's like soloing constantly, you know? So it was a very free, open, improvisational experience. And I think that's because I grew up so into jazz that I think right. helped me connect to music that really wasn't jazz. If that Absolutely. Sense. And talking to jazz musicians about Hendrix, I often ask them, do you consider Hendrix a jazz musician? You know, and the overwhelming answer is yes. You know, just in on an improvisation level and a harmonic level too. Check this out, and this is the truth because I know the guy, and he used to work there. Well, it's the truth because he told me this many, many years ago. But the great recording engineer Bernie Kirsch, that did most of Chick Corea's records at Mad Hatter yeah. Studio, Bernie Kirsch used to work at Electric Ladyland Studios in New York, where Jimmy did a lot of his recording. Uh -huh. He told me that there was a session booked with Jimi Hendrix and Miles Davis. And the session was booked two weeks after Jimmy passed. Oh, Could you imagine what would have happened if Hendrix and Miles Davis got together? Oh, my God. That no, I think the universe would have imploded. That's right. Yeah. So there is that jazz element totally. in Hendrix's world and that improvisational element. That would have I'm getting goosebumps. That would have been yeah. life-changing music, right? A so absolutely. There is wow. Um, and yeah. so when you were out playing with your band, I guess it probably been with your brothers uh, at some point too. Were you playing Hendrix stuff? Were you playing rock or were you mostly, were you doing jazz no, we were, mostly? It was, you were playing it was jazz. Completely playing jazz. I never, wow. I never played rock. I was, I, I mean, I appreciated, I appreciated him because, because of what he brought to the music, but I wasn't like playing in rock bands. I was totally playing jazz. That was my thing since 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 day one you know uh -huh. yeah okay so when did bass enter the equation for you then um bass ended uh the my second year of junior high school i think i was what 13 i don't even remember 14 okay. um i was in the orchestra i also played cello and was horrible so the uh the orchestra director and the uh the junior high orchestra said, "Hey, Brian, you see that big bass over there? Well, you know, no one's playing it. We got a bunch. We got a bunch of cello players in the orchestra. Why don't you play the bass?" And I know that was his way of saying, "I really don't want to hear you sawing your cello in half. So why don't you go play the <laughs> bass? Because I'd rather have one bad bass player than no bass player." 
And so I was like, bass, Ugh, that thing's like, you know, it's like a car with strings on it. I don't want to play yeah. bass. You know? And I remember yeah. going home and talking to, you know, my dad and my family about it. And they're like, man, play the bass because then we can play jazz together. We could play, you know. And then it was just like, bing, hey, if I learn how to play bass, I can now play with my brother and my father instead of playing the same instrument with them, you know. So uh -huh. um Solved a couple That's problems. That's how I started playing bass. You know, the rest is history, I guess. It is an incredibly physical instrument. A lot of people look at it the same way. Oh, a bass with four strings. All I got to do is pluck them. But as I'm sure you learned when you started playing the thing, it is a full body instrument. It's like a, an endurance instrument. Well, it just it destroys your fingers at first, yeah. the blisters and blood and pain. I mean, it's like awful, you know. That's that's the worst part. But um, the thing that was cool for me, which I didn't realize until actually doing it, because I was a drummer and playing drums, literally working all the time. I mean, my sisters and my brother or my mom or my dad, whoever wasn't working, would literally take me to gigs and pick me up because I couldn't drive because I was a teenager. And yeah. and on the breaks, I'd have to go sit outside because I was too young to be in a bar, but I could play the band, but then I'd have to literally be able to sit outside and <laughs> wait during the break. Crazy. Yeah. But because I grew up playing drums and I knew where the quarter note was from the ride cymbal, uh -huh. playing the bass became, I, I, I learned quickly because the time is the same, the quarter note is the same. I had the rhythm, I just didn't know they had the melody, if that makes sense. So- You um, had the time, yeah, you had the time. I had the time, that's what I did, I had yeah, the time. You were but the I, I had the time, I had the rhythm, and, and I knew where one was, so my, my groove was good, kind of like from day one, just because I'd been a working drummer. I had yeah. no idea the musical side, the scales, yeah. the notes, I had to learn that. But at okay. least the role of the bass player in keeping the time right, I had that from being a drummer. So gotcha. that really helped me play. Yeah. And now as you're playing bass, as you're kind of forming your style, I know because of another tribute album you did that one of your other big heroes was Jocko, Jocko Pistorius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people put Jocko and Jimmy, you know, kind of in the same conversation in terms of how they revolutionized the instrument. Do you think that's a fair comparison? It's an incredibly fair comparison because yeah. the thing, you know, you, you look at, I look at I look at it from a lot of different angles, okay? The contribution to the music, not just the instrument. Mm. You know, it's it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Anybody can take your finger and put it on a note and go, bing, there's a B flat. But <laughs> right. when Jocko played B flat, I felt it in my heart. Yeah. He could play one note and it moved me, right? right. I felt I felt it because of his contribution to the, you know, he took the bass and completely transcended music. It wasn't just about bass playing his composition, his arrangement, his vibe, it's all of it. His, he, was, he was just this massively powerful source and what he did on the instrument, no one had ever done. Jimmy was no different. Right. No one had done what Jimmy did the way he did it. And it wasn't like he was like the greatest guitar player in the world. It was the fact that everything he did was backwards. It was upside down, it was left-handed. It was everything was wrong, yeah. which made everything he did right because it was right. so unique and, and um, just so, it, it was just, it was just incredible. I, I, you know, but yes, they are both very, very much the same. Groundbreaking, not just great musicians. They changed the music. They changed mankind as far as I'm concerned. You could tell because they both thought outside the conventions of their instrument. You know, with regard to Jimmy restringing the thing, you know, left-handed and having that long E string along the top allowed him to get really kind of crazy with the bends, you know. Um, although I've heard and I've seen pictures of him writing, that he was actually right-handed. 
and learned to play left-handed, um, yeah. which was interesting. And and similar for Jocko, ripping out the frets, you know, and putting the well, you know, and it's shellac or whatever. <laughs> well, now that you mention this, it's really it, it it's really funny because now I'm seeing a little more of a connection to the Jimmy world than I even thought. When I was a kid, we're talking single-digit kid. My yeah. sister had a guitar. She had a nylon string guitar, campfire guitar, you know. Okay, yeah. And I used to pick it up and mess with it, but I played it left-handed. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until I started doing other things that I switched over. But when my first initial thing of when I was playing the guitar, even messing around, and I can't play guitar at all, um, <laughs> is, is I played it left-handed. And, and upside, and it's like, that's, it's, you know, that's what Jimmy did, that's what you Jimmy know? Did. So it's kind of like, okay, I, I, you know, I guess there was a weird connection there because I used to listen to his stuff, you know, a lot and I, and you watch him play and everything was just completely wrong. It's like watching Jimmy Haslip play bass, you know, it's just like, man, if you, you know, you can make it so much easier on yourself. If yep, you did left-handed and upside down. Yep. It's amazing how well he plays considering the fact that he has to work twice as hard for half as much, yeah. you know, and he plays incredibly. You know, but it's like, man, look at the math. You could do this a lot differently, you know, but what are you going to do? That's how you learn, that's how you learn, you know? Absolutely right. Now, you know, Jimmy, you mentioned was, uh, you were 10 when Jimmy died. Did you get a chance to meet or see Jocko? Yes, Jocko, um, we actually hung out several times and it was um, pretty, it was pretty amazing. Um, He, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and he came to play at a club in Phoenix called Chewy's at the time that, that friends of mine owned. And it was just like, oh, my God, Jocko's coming to, to Phoenix. You know, I, I got to go. It's like he was, yeah. was you know, anything Jocko did, I was like flipping out. Right. Um, so, and, and this was in 1983. I think I still have the T-shirt. I think it's 1983. And <laughs> um, at that point, I had already lived in New York City. I lived in New York when I was 17, 19, and 21, like when I was playing with Stan Getz. And, and then I lived right. in the city and did a bunch of gigs in the city with like the guys. So when I went to, um, uh, to see Jocko's band, I knew a lot of the guys in the band from New York. So it was just like, holy crap, man, how you doing? And, 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 and they're like, hey, do you know Jocko? I said, no, let me introduce you. So I'm like flipping out. I'm like nervous. I'm like, you know, but in their mind, it's just like, I'm just the bass player dude that was friends with them in New York meeting the bass player dude that they're playing with. So right. they introduced me to Jocko kind of as like a peer. Not, I wasn't a peer, but you know what I'm saying? It's just like, right. hey, he's one of right. us. Bass player, meet bass player. Yeah. Right. It's just like, you know, we, we used to play together in New York. So um, unbeknownst to me, this is what still freaks me out to this day. Anyway, we met, we hung out. Um, Unbeknownst to me, he knew who I was. He actually heard me play at a club called Arthur's Steakhouse in somewhere in, in my, I think Miami or Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with Monty Alexander, great okay. piano player. Yeah, and I was playing upright on that gig. And apparently, Jocko had come to hear the band. Jocko came to my gig, sat in the back, and was there the whole night. I didn't know he was there. He never talked to me. He was there, saw me play. And then I found this out after the fact when I met him and I freaked out because like had I known Jocko was sitting in the audience, I literally probably wouldn't have been able to move. Yeah. You would have had to have called the paramedics. (laughs) There's no way I could have functioned if I knew he was there. But we ended up hanging out until like four o'clock in the morning that night. We jammed after the gig. We played. Um, 
I had one of my weird bases with graphite neck that was fretless with piccolo bass strings on it and stuff. It's yeah, like it all of my, my weird stuff. And I, I brought the bass with me. I actually had it with me. I said, Hey man, check this out. I showed, I showed it to him on, on the break and he's like, he started playing it. He was just like, wow. His roadie was like real protective of him. And his roadie was like, ah, oh, man, Jocko doesn't play anybody's basses. He'll, he won't even look at it. Don't even bother. Anyway, I showed him the bass. He played it. He took it on stage. He opened the second set with my bass solo for 20 minutes. He just played my bass by himself for 20 minutes. Fretless piccolo Amazing. bass. And because it was so high, it sounded like a sitar. He's yeah. playing and he's laughing because he's like playing like all the Donna Lee, you know, Portrait of Tracy. <laughs> he's like playing all these songs that he became like an icon with, you know, and he's playing, he's laughing because it sounds like, you know, your bass, you know, just inhaled helium. It was hysterical. But, um, <laughs> So we ended up hanging out that night and then we hung out several times in New York and um, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was tragic what happened. And he was, you know, when he, when the people left and the lights were down and I'm sorry to say this when he wasn't lit mm -hmm. and he was just himself, he was just, he was great. He was sweet. Yeah. He was just brilliant. We were playing. I just stopped. I had to just listen to him. He was so amazing. It's just when he would go off into his space that it was a different story. But um, he always treated me really well. And it was just, it just broke my heart what happened to him. And you talk about icons. He, he you know, how many, look, there's a lot of great musicians. There's a lot of great bass players. How many people change the instrument, change yeah. the voice, change the perception of it? No, no one you know, he is the base version of what Jimi Hendrix did. Jimi Hendrix was, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful stories, man. And like we say, the Jocko tribute album is out now. The Hendrix remixed, remastered album is coming out. So we're going to talk about it in a minute. We're going to take a break, though. Um, talk about this. This would be Chick's name came up in conversation. This is our summer 2020 issue. And I'm just letting people know yeah. uh, that <laughs> it's all about the age of fusion, a very young Chick Korea on the cover. And uh, all of the content from this print issue is available as web articles on our website. You will need a digital subscription to read them. But fortunately, for fans of Jazz is Live and fans of Brian Bromberg and fans of Jimi Hendrix, we're offering a special subscription rate for just 99 cents per month. For three months, you can unlock unlimited digital access to all of the content from this print issue on our site. Plus, we'll enroll you to receive our forthcoming print issue, which is all about the art of the album. Uh, that's coming out in September. And like I say, three months of unlimited digital access and then a print issue con come September. Before we continue, Brian, you are uh, you are obviously a very popular guy. Your phone is chiming off the hook there. Can I'm we get you to, to mute the... <laughs> my, my phone is actually muted. Uh -huh. What I'm trying to do is get it to... Um, stop because it's it's coming out of the same mic that the speaker is on the it's coming out of the speakers of of the, the the computer. I'm trying to see if I can turn the sound off of the messenger well with, without muting you. Well, so, um, as we try to figure that out, we will we will keep rolling along. We'll just assume that sorry, every I'm time sorry, that bell it. chimes, every time that bell chimes, somebody is spinning a Brian Bromberg or Jimi Hendrix record. Um, yeah. So yeah, we should. Because, you know, you mentioned the piccolo bass and right. we should lay this out there for anyone who is going to listen to this album. Hard to believe there is no guitar on this album. No, there I can't play no guitar. Literally. <laughs> this is and as a, not only as you and Vinnie Colaiuta on drums, right? That's it for personnel. It's me and Vinnie Colaiuta. And um, wow. the, the thing, the, the record, 
the story behind the record, which is, which is, I never ever would have done a Jimi Hendrix record, just like I never would have done a Jocko record because it wasn't my idea. It came to me from a record company. I never, uh, I, I never would have done a Jimi Hendrix record, especially being a bass player. Why would I do a tribute record to a, a guy on an instrument that I don't even play, you know? <laughs> but um, I had two different record company executives from two different countries, a lot of twos here, two years apart both tell me, and they don't know each other, they had no idea, both of them told me, man, you should do a Jimi Hendrix record. And when the first guy said it to me, I'm like, come on, really, me? I'm gonna do a Jimi Hendrix record? I don't, I don't, I don't think so, I'm a, real, I'm a bass player, I'm gonna do a Jimi Hendrix record. And then I just kind of blew it off. Two years later, you know, when uh, the record company executive in Japan said to me, you should do a Jimi Hendrix record, it was just like, wait a second, uh, these guys are obviously hearing something that I'm not. They're obviously getting something that I'm not even seeing. I better look at this seriously and realize that they're, they're seeing something that I'm not aware of. And so I looked at it and I started listening to Jimmy a little bit and go, you know, I could, I could do a really cool thing. I, 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 okay, I'll do it. I, I had no idea what I was going to do. It wasn't my idea. And I just jumped into it. And my God, it was so much fun. I mean, just to be able to shred, not think about radio, not think about edits, not think about format, not think about anything, just to blow and have a great time, especially with somebody like Vinny, who's like the most yeah. in-demand drummer in the world. This guy's a freak, you know. Um, it was just so much fun uh, to do with no preconceived ideas of anything. And it was about Jimmy's music. It wasn't about trying to learn Jimi Hendrix licks. Right. I never tried to learn Jimi Hendrix licks on my piccolo bass. I don't copy any lick of Jimmy's on the record. There's not yep. one thing on the record where I am copying a phrase right. he did that wasn't composition. I, I just, why? It's like, what's the point? There is no point. Right. I got to make it, you know? So that's that's how it came about. And and I guess the thing that, that I'm probably the most proud of of the record is the fact that there's just two of us and everything right. you hear besides the drums is me and it's, overdubbing like an erector set, building it. And the thing that, that I'm the most proud of is that it breathes. It sounds like music. It doesn't sound like a NAMM show demo. It sounds like music. There's peaks and yes. valleys, there's air, there's, there's improvisation, there's, there's, it, it, it moves. You know, that to me is what I'm the most proud of is, is the fact that it still sounds like music, not just two guys and one guy just, you know, overdubbing himself a million times. Cause you know how that can usually sound. So, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm curious about as to the, you know, instrumental arsenal you brought to this project. So, you know, Vinny, obviously laying down the drums, but what were you playing? You had the piccolo bass. Oh God, I played, I have to remember, <laughs> this, you know, I played steel string piccolo bass, acoustic piccolo bass. Um, I think I played nylon piccolo bass. I played four string electric, five string electric, fretted, uh, upright, electric upright, um, tenor bass. I mean, I'm trying to think what else I played. I mean, a, a bunch of different basses. And because, you know, again, it's like I play bass. That's the instrument I play. So I want to try to figure out different ways I can use the bass as musically as possible. Yeah. And let each instrument have a voice and have a spot in the music. And yeah. where, where does it lay? What, what is its role? Every part that I play has a different role in the music, whether it's a rhythm part or a bass part or a lead part or a background part or a, 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 like a, you know, like a shredding wall distortion, you know, yep. uh, you know, part. Every, every part has a purpose in the music and I play bass. I don't play anything else. So for me, 
um, it was it was about how can I use the instruments to make the music. It wasn't yeah. about I got to play basses. It was like this is the instrument I play. This is the music I want to make. How do I go from here to here? And that's how I try to use the basses on all my records. And it's what about, I've always oh you go sorry go ahead. Well, say this is about using the bass to help make the music because the music always comes first. Right. And what I've always admired about, especially the Jimi Hendrix experience stuff, is the way it was just three guys, you know, Noel, Mitch and Jimmy, that made it sound like 10 guys. You know, it was and it was just exactly. And and my my point is you replicate that so well, you know, by you know, stacking these sounds, they're not overstacked. Just like you said, there's plenty of room to breathe. There's a lot of flexibility in these tracks. And it sounds like with just the two of you, very similar to what the experience accomplished uh, with just the three of them. Um, so, and, and it's that other magical element of who knows what else going on, but you, you well, absolutely capture it on very these tracks. Cool, and I, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. You know, the, the thing is, is that, and, and, and this is, this is important because this is the truth and it may seem kind of weird when you think about what the record sounds like, but I'm not a guitar player, mm -hmm. nor am I trying to be a guitar player. I play the bass right. and I really enjoy playing basses that I tune to the register of a guitar because it yep. allows me to have a different vehicle and a different voice in the music. Playing the only instrument that I really know how to play besides drums is the bass. So I'm not trying to be a guitar player and I'm not pretending to be a guitar player. Right. So for me, the good news with that is that it gives me license to do whatever I can try to do to make the music the way I want to music within my abilities. The challenging thing is, is that my piccolo bass is still a four string, 34 inch scale electric bass with the same string spacing as my normal bass. So right. think about having strings the size of dental floss with 34 inch <laughs> scale with traditional bass spacing. It's yeah. not the most convenient instrument to play. When you think about what a guitar player can do with six strings and a short scale length, there's yeah. so much more you can physically do versus four strings with really long scale length that are really far apart. So when you think about a guitar trio, guitar players can do so much more than I can with a bass tuned like a guitar. So for me, Jimmy could do it with a trio and it sounded ridiculous. For me, right. you know, I, I, I got to overdub different things to make it work. But the, the end result is, is that, you know, I, I, I don't want to overdo it. I want to do what's right. There's times when it's like shredding and huge. And there's times when it's just bass, lead guitar and kick and snare. And it's just like unbelievable. Like like the, 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 the solo breakdown on Hey Joe, when Vinny just gets into that groove and I'm playing simple yep. in the bass line and then the guitar is just like, man, it's like it's the drama in that moment is just wow. That right. to me, like that's cool. I wish I could do that all the time. Unfortunately, with four strings and thirty-four inch scale, it's really hard to do that. But it was um, just insanely fun to do. And um, I know. can imagine there were some challenges, though, especially in because one thing you mentioned early on was Jimmy's voice, right? That was carried so much power in his music, his voice, and the way it connected like directly to your spirit. Translating Jimmy's vocals to the bass line. You know, or, or to the bass melody, rather. Um, what was your approach for like manic depression? You know, again, you you're playing just, that vocal melody in your on your bass. You so, what were the challenge? You just hit it on the head. You just yeah. you identified by far the most challenging part of the record, 
And thank you for bringing that up and hearing that. Jimmy wasn't a singer. He right. spoke to you. Right. He communicated to you. He talked to you. He just, he wasn't like, I'm going to sing a song like, you know, Dean Martin. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> yeah. he spoke to you. And it is monumentally challenging and essentially impossible to take a steel string on a metal fret and go think and try to communicate the same way that the human voice can. Yeah. You just can't do it. So it was really hard because I, I would I would like, you know, start trying to play the melodies or I'd like build the track and then I'd like, okay, I'm gonna play the melody, and then I'd play it like on just a regular fretted bass, and it'd just be like, this sounds terrible. It's like I can't do this. There's like no way. You know, that was the most challenging part of how do I take a fretted instrumental instrument and turn yeah. it into something that communicates like his voice did. And that's why there's a lot of fretless bass melodies on the record, right. because the fretless is much more like the human voice. There's no metal bar making the note. It's your finger. You got to be in tune, but you can you can move your finger and give it some soul and some vibe and which human. Uh, right. So right. there's a lot of fretless melody on the record because that's closer to matching the human voice than playing a steel string instrument with, a, with your finger on a metal fret, which has, you know, the, the soul of a, of a rock, you know, in the most <laughs> yeah. part, when you compare and, it to the voice or the fretless, right? So totally. that was the challenge. And, that was the hardest part by far. And, and you do it so well, you do it so well. Right. I mean, and like you say, this is not a Jimmy imitation. You know, this is very much you and your music and there are grooves here that are very much original um, and that are you, and which makes it an, an awesome listening experience because you're channeling, you know, the energy of Hendrix, but it's still very much Brian Bromberg. Um, right, I am not trying to be Jimi Hendrix. Why exactly. would I try? Why <laughs> right. would I try? It's like, why bother? You, it's like, don't, it's a joke. It's like, you don't do that. You make it your own. And, and honestly, it's like the thing about this record that's interesting and it just became this, it's like a combination between a funk record and a metal record because yeah. I approach it with the walls of guitar sound with the piccolo bass and a lot of distortion and the big expanse and width and huge and powerful and a lot of slap bass at times. But the music isn't necessarily funk but it's done in a different way. I, I try to like, it's like a hybrid of different styles, you know? Yeah. And when, you know, when, I, when I think when Manic Depression, you know, fretless bass, man, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what gives it the vibe. So much of the fretless on that is, is you know, uh, was the, the tunes, if I'm not mistaken, the songs that I played the fretless on were the songs that I had the hardest time trying to play the melody and have it have some soul and some humanity to it versus just, again, a string on a fret you know, which on right. certain songs worked perfectly with the attitude of what it is. But on songs like that, you need the soul of the fretless bass to 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 try to emulate that human voice thing, you know. I get it, man. It, it is the a beautiful was, listen. Uh, no, but it, it is a beautiful thing to listen to. Um, we'll uh, end kind of with this. You know, as we mentioned, it came out originally in 2012. Brian Bromberg plays Hendrix. Yeah. This is a reissue in September. Again, marking the 50th anniversary of Jimmy's passing. So what is different about this uh, release in 2020 than what came out in 2012? Well, it just sounds a lot better. I mean, we got another octave of low end on it. We've got um, clarity. One of the, one of the reasons why I wanted to redo this was, you know, um, there's that old saying, a chain is the strongest, it's weakest link. And, you know, uh, the, the technology and pro tools and the technology and the studio and plugins and, and just the computer power 
of what we had back in 2011 and 2012 versus now is I knew we could make the record sound sonically a lot better, get rid of a lot of digital um, crosstalk and, and, and interference and just, you know, clear it up, you know? So for me, it was like, I want the record to sound better. The basses sound better. They're much more present, much more in your face. The bottom sounds better. The kick drum, the drums sound better. And, and even though there's a, a lot going on in the record, it's pretty, it's a pretty, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty involved record. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of tracks, a lot of energy. Um, there's still a lot of distortion and digital distortion that's been cleaned up. It's a much easier record to listen to. So for me, it was like, I just want to make it sound better. I want to utilize new technology into making the music better. And I think it's, it's not that there was anything wrong with the first one, because it was the best we could do with what we had. The difference is night and day when you compare them um, cool. sonically. And that to me was what I wanted it to do. My, my um, you know, again, I'm, I'm a bass player. I'm not a guitar player playing through incredible, you know, guitar rigs and stuff like that. The technology right. and trying to get my piccolo bass to sound better, more like a guitar, things like that, that my guitar sounds are better. My bass sounds are better. My solo bass sounds are better. You know, the drums, I mean, just, just the bottom, the, the, the support and the power of the record, I think, is better. So for me, it was just like, I just want to make it as good as we can make it. You know, that was that was the reason behind it. I just it's like I knew this could be better. And it's like, you know, his 50th anniversary of his, of his untimely passing is coming. You know, if there was ever a time to honor him and, and honor his contribution, now is the time to redo this and try to make it as good as I can make it. And that was the whole point of doing it. Right on. Not to mention there's an inclusion of an and original track. track. New. Right. New. That's an yeah. original track. Yes. Yes, called Jimmy. And, um, yeah, and Vinny is just like insane. His drum solo stuff on that is just insane. Um, the thing about that track that I, I love is the first, the first four bars after my little guitarish kind of intro. When when the band comes in and that groove starts, it's just like in your. It's just so powerful. That's just like yeah. bam. I, I love that moment. That's like the moment when as soon as that groove starts, that moment is just like holy crap. You know. That's a and yeah. That's just, a cool track because it's also a nice crap. summation of Jimmy's sound. You know, who even the, though his career was kind of truncated, went through phases and had different kind of facets of his sound. You know, the really hard driving stuff, the really bluesy stuff, the kind of jangly with the sixth and ninths and the chords in there. And and your track kind of sums that all up. Um, well, thank you. I, I wish I could, you know, I, and, and you know, the timing is everything, right? I mean, uh, I, I have a signature model bass with Kiesel guitars, which used to mm -hmm. be carbon. And they're actually making me a piccolo bass that has the pickups and the electronics. The pickups are going to be in my radius cups, but the actual circuit board and pickups are of that of essentially their version of a Strat. So it's yeah, going to cool. sound much more like a guitar <laughs> just because of the way the pickups are. But when I think of, you know, Jimmy's cleaner sounds and with just that single coil sound, it just... It's, it's, I wish I could emulate that sound. I, I can't, maybe this instrument will help get me there. But I think of those sounds that he would get, you know, that were just so human, just so, yes. something about just so, so real. It's like that, you know, that's what I would be trying to emulate or trying to, to, to get. So we're, we're halfway there. The shred stuff cool. is cool. I want to be able to get that stuff, like the, the clean yeah. or the, yes. the little overdriven, the clean stuff that's just got that thing that is just, um, 
you know, and I don't play with a pick. I'm a bass player. I play with my fingers, you know, so I don't get the attack that a guitar player gets. So between not bending like a guitar player will and not having, you know, not using a pick, there's certain things about the sound that I get that's different, that is hard to emulate, right. that I wish I could get closer to, but I don't play with a pick, man. <laughs> I'm a bass player. It's, it's like, bass it's player. Kind of, <laughs> comes to the territory. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Well, hey, Brian, we had a couple audience questions here. You have time to stick around for some audience questions? Absolutely. So I, we I were to turn the, the, the bell off. So there you go. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Appreciate that. Um, Sean wants to know, you know, we've talked about both Jocko and Hendrix. Who did you hear first? Who came into your ears first? Oh, Jimi Hendrix did because I I, okay. I heard Jimi Hendrix when I was when I was you know elementary school when I was literally a, a, a young child and then right. I didn't hear Jocko until you know I was already a teenager at that point so Hendrix gotcha. was in my life first yeah gotcha and then Don wants to know oh here's no here's Don um, loves your very early releases on Nova and Intima Records still listen to them a lot um, you did a remake of your song Isn't It Beautiful have you ever thought of another recording of You and I oh great question you know it's it's funny you mentioned that because had I known then what I know now as a producer I would have done things differently um, that was my first that was my first real hit on radio back in the day I didn't even know if there was electricity back then um, so uh uh, it, it, it's a it's a beautiful ballad. Thank you, and that would be uh, that would be fun to do to remake that and actually try to make it you know try to take it to the next level. But but thank you for asking about that. It, it's a uh, it's a lovely song. Thank you. Cool. And then Sean wants to know about uh, bass on the broadband. Apparently, you played a song of Sean's yeah. on bass on the broadband. Any chance you'll be firing that up, firing that back up sometime? I would. I would love to. It was the first <clears throat> all base internet radio station. We had listeners in 127 countries. It's just because it's an actual radio station and not a website. Mm. Yeah. You have to pay music licensing. You have to pay CSAC, BMI, ASCAP, you know, sound exchange. Um, it was thousands and thousands of dollars every year to broadcast because it's, and then you had to pay for bandwidth and everything else. So it, it's, it's a radio station and not just a, a platform. So if I could find more sponsorship or figure out a way to do it by subscription, if the subscription was reasonable and there was a place for it, I would love to do it again because I thought it was, um, I thought the station sounded great. It sounded like a real professional station, which is kind of amazing to me actually. But the, the thing about it that I loved the most was how many really good bass players there are in the world. And, and at first I thought, you know, I keep going back to like the, the NAMM show demos. It's like, oh, great. I'm going to get all these CDs and it's just going to be the same thing. You know, like 10,000 guys just like trying to slap and, you know, and I was completely, I was completely um, blown away at how musical so many of these, these guys were and how good the CDs were and how enjoyable of, of listen it was. Cause it was, it wasn't, it didn't sound like a bass radio station. It was just music. So I would love to do bass on the broadband again, uh, still own it. Uh, it. You know, if we could, if I could find a way to financially do it where it wasn't kicking my butt, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Very cool. So if you know any rich people, <laughs> we'll hook you up. Very like cool. That much, it's not like, it's not like it's an exorbitant amount of money, but it all adds up when you're dealing with like that much licensing that you have to pay for. Right. Yep. Yep. 
but it's a great forum for bass players. Um, you could see my Epiphone stand up in the back there. You don't want to hear me play it, but you could certainly see it. Um, so maybe if it gets fired up again, I will be tuning in. Brian, this was an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Again, the album, Brian Bromberg plays Hendrix, coming out September 18th on Mac Avenue Records. Is it available for pre-order now? I think I so. in August, I, th I think it's, it's, I think August 14 made pre-order, I think. Okay. I'm not sure. It, I think it will be for pre-order. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. We'll put like a link it. to it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I just, I just people... want people to like it. And, and, yeah. Go ahead. They will. No, sorry. I was just going to ask if people wanted to follow along with Brian Bromberg, know what's going on. Where's the best place for them to do that? brianbromberg.net and I'm working on building up my, my, my Facebook page and Instagram and things like that. But, but uh, I will be updating my website really soon. And that's probably the, 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 the best place right off the bat. And then I've got my Facebook page as well. So very cool. I have a lot I of stuff. To post, so we can this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the amazing conversation. Uh, I'll be seeing you around the internet, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off with people watching for now, but thank you. Thank you again so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. So long, Brian. Bye-bye. All right, so thank you to Brian Bromberg for joining us on Jazz Is Live today. Again, the album is Brian Bromberg Plays Hendrix, coming out September 18th on Mac Avenue Records. Be on the lookout for Brian on the cover of our August digital issue as well, uh, coming out next month. You'll need a digital subscription to read the August digital content as well. But like I say, we're offering a special promo right now, 99 cents per month for three months, unlimited digital access, plus that complimentary print issue come September. All right, that will do it for Jazz Is Live today. Thanks everyone for watching, everyone who submitted questions, sincerely appreciate it. Follow us on Facebook, Facebook, follow us on YouTube, hit that notification bell so you know when we're live. Uh, I'll, I will see you later. Tomorrow we'll be chatting with Carol Wellsman doing a giveaway as well uh, on Thursday and then uh, wrapping things up on Friday. Thank you for watching, everyone. So long.